0: And hey, let me pray for us real quick. Father, as we get into your word, I, my prayer is this morning that you would take a, what could be a difficult concept and that you would help us to really lean in and not be challenged by anything I say, but be transformed by the words of the scripture that we read, that we would place ourselves there and allow your spirit to speak truth to us. Lord, I know that you have a desire for us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And Lord, we want to walk out this morning different because we've encountered you. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I don't know if you've had an experience like this, but a couple of Wednesday nights ago, uh, I was out at our Liberty Hill campus, and uh, we've moved our students' ministry uh, out there now that we have a building that, that we have uh, all, all year long, really, instead of just renting a space on Sunday. We can do youth ministry out there. It makes way more sense for our teenagers to, uh, from Liberty Hill to invite their friends to just come over and stay in town rather than get on buses at a gas station and drive over here. So I was out there hanging out with them one Wednesday, and afterwards, I was chatting with our campus pastor about just things that are happening out there, talking about family ministry out there, and we were having a conversation. It kind of went 15 or 20 minutes, and... By this time, everybody has kind of, kids have gone. There's, there's a few kind of hanging around. Some, an adult are here or there doing stuff. But it's kind of quiet, just me and him. And we've been standing up near the stage where the musical stuff is, where the drums are in the drum cage. And about 15 or 20 minutes into our conversation, room's almost quiet, nobody there, I, I turn kind of to the side, and, and there is somebody sitting, an old guy sitting in the drum cage, like staring at us. And it's one of those moments like I, I've been there so long and he's been so quiet and it, it made my heart like skip a beat because I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And, and then I realized the old guy with the white beard was, was my reflection. Uh, there was actually nobody there. <laughs> but I don't know if you've had that moment. Literally, I, I kind of startled and, and, I, and I thought, Lord have mercy. Um, that's not what I look like. There's something wrong with the, the drum cage or something. But it is. It, it, there, was, there was nothing wrong. You know, When what we present is different than what is true, we have an integrity problem. And that's what we've been talking about through this series. And, and oftentimes there's a gap for us. The problem becomes there's a gap in what we think or what we think about ourselves and what is actually true true about ourselves. I'll give you another example. I think I told you this when we came back from our junior high retreat. I got to speak that morning and uh, went out to the junior high retreat with uh hundred some odd kids because there's junior hires. There's some high schoolers out there who are leading uh, the retreat with us. And we had some free time built in where you could play gaga ball or whatever. And so I got out with some guys and we started playing basketball. Now, I love playing basketball, but I haven't played in a long time. Once I tore my ACL, it kind of shelved me. It was even healed. It was like the, the mental of it. it. It's hard to, to get over, but, but I got there. Was having, we, were, we were having a blast. We played for about two hours, and, and I'm not really good at basketball. I didn't play in high school. I didn't play in college. When I was in college, I played with friends who played at college, so they kind of, you know, sharpened me. Iron sharpens iron, uh, but my, my sweet spot is, is probably junior high retreat. That's the sweet spot. I mean, I can dominate some 13-year-olds, uh, <laughs> We had some high schoolers out there, some adults, and we were playing. Had, had a blast. We finished that, went to dinner, and then went to a worship, and it was about an hour and a half, maybe two hours after that, I was talking to some people, and, and this, is, this is true. I played basketball. played well. Had fun. But about two hours afterwards, and if somebody's listening to the podcast, they won't be able to see it, so I'm going to explain it. Like, like, if I move my shoulder back, like, about two inches, I mean, like, that far, it was like, oh, uh, I mean, pain shooting through. That night, I laid down onto that the glorious bunk bed out at the campground, and um, I, I laid there, and I, and I got on my side. And my shoulders, feels like somebody's stabbing, and I'm laying on my back. I'm trying to turn on my side. I, I get up and, and, and take some, Trying leave, couldn't sleep all night long. Now, he, here's the illustration between the gap of what we think and what is true. I thought I can still play basketball. I'm still in basketball shape for two hours. The truth is, I <laughs> was not by any means whatsoever. Now, I might be able to get there, but I'm not. Now, that's a harmless illustration, but it can get dangerous or put us in places where we can't grow if, if we don't really wrestle with the fact that sometimes what we think and what is true, if there's a gap, there's a lack of integrity. So let me give you how, how it can play out in a, in a really negative way. There's the adult who says, I've got, I've got nothing to give. There's, there's no place for me to serve. That's what they think, and so they sit on the sidelines, and they just soak. It's a teenager who's presented, maybe in our scenario, with opportunities to be on ministry teams or go to mission trips or things like that, and they go, I'm too busy. I just don't have enough time. And so because they think that, they don't do the things that God has called them to do. They don't serve in areas where God's going to sharpen their skill set and really hone what he's calling them to do for the future. That's how a teenager finds out what, what God's called them to do for their ministry down the road is by practicing it now, but they're too busy, I don't have enough time, so they never do that, and then they end up becoming adults who have nothing to offer and, and, and no place to serve, and they become adults who sit on the sideline. Because we often act on what we think rather than what is true. When we, the, the truth is, the truth is, you do have gifts. you do have things to give. In fact, God has created you and called you to that. That is what's true. You as adults have places to serve. What's true is our teenagers do have time and they're not too busy. If they set the controller down for a little bit, stop sending 47 pictures of themselves on Snapchat over and over and over again. If they didn't binge watch nine shows in a row, they would have time to do the things that God has called them to do. And to sharpen their future ministry. But we act on what we think rather than what is true. And it can actually become very tragic. The teenager who thinks this. Nobody loves me. Who thinks the world would be a better place without me. And they take their own life. And hundreds of teenagers and people in the community show up for the the funeral and prove what was true over what they thought. But it also works in the reverse. I'll give you a positive one because no one wants to end on an illustration of suicide and things like that because that's heavy. You know the story of Daniel Rudiger? That, that name may not be familiar, but if, but if I ask you, do you know the story of Rudy? Rudy Rudiger? You probably do. You might have seen the, the movie Rudy that came out years ago. Rudy's story is pretty interesting. He was the, the third kid of 14, grew up in a big family, easy to get lost in the shuffle. He also had dyslexia in a time where there were not the kind of services that there are now for, for students who are going through school with dyslexia. And so he was not a, a stellar student by any means. He graduated high school. He went into the Navy for a couple of years and then decided, I want to go to college. And I want to go to Notre Dame. And I want to play football for the fighting Irish. Problem was, because of his dyslexia and his grades, when he applied at Notre Dame, they told him no, you couldn't get in, so he had to go to Holy Cross College for two years. And then he got into Notre Dame, two years behind, decided I wanted to play football, but he's five foot six inches and 165 pounds. And you know the story if you saw the movie. He works and he works and he works and he makes the practice squad. And after making the practice squad, he makes the team. And in one of the last games of his senior year, when all his eligibility is up, the coach puts him into the game. Plays three plays in his college career. He's got, got one stat. He lines up and sacks the quarterback in the last game of his senior year. And the players, in the movie and in real life, put him up on their shoulders and they carry him off the field. One of two people for the North Irish that's ever happened to. Cool story. But here's the thing. If most of us acted by what we thought, we would go, you have dyslexia. Again, in a time where there weren't the services for school, you have dyslexia. Probably didn't even know he had it. You're just not smart. You, you didn't go the college. You, you didn't go the traditional route. You went to the navy. You're like, you're like an older student now. Just stay in the navy. You, you didn't even get in. You got to go to Holy Cross College. Go back to the navy. You want to play football? Hey, look in the mirror. There's not an old man with a gray beard. There's a five foot six, 165 pound scrawny kid. And most people would believe and act upon what they thought rather than what was true, that he could and did play. And so this week, with us in our own Bible study, our own reflection, and and with our kids, as as you log on to that YAP and pull up some questions to have conversations with your kids, the point we want to dive into this morning and this week is this, that true integrity, ultimate integrity, is when what we do and what we act upon because what we think matches the truth of who God says we are. You see, we're created in the image of God. We we are called in the New Testament ambassadors. We're representatives of Jesus. In in the New Testament, in Antioch, they were called Christians, which means little Christ. We're we're supposed to, when we look in the mirror, we're supposed to reflect Jesus. We're supposed to be growing towards looking like Him because we're created in His image. And when there's this gap, because we upon things that we think rather than what is true, we won't reach true and ultimate integrity because we won't reach it until we look like Jesus. And so we're going to look at a story this week in the Old Testament. If you want to flip in your Bibles over to the book of Isaiah, that's where we're going to be. A pretty familiar passage in Isaiah. If you grew up uh, hearing preachers preach and reading in the Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah 6 historically what's happening, what we're going to read is King Uzziah has been the king of Israel and they've been doing well. Israel has been at peace during Uzziah's reign. There's been prosperity. There's been this era of expansion in the kingdom. Things are going really well. But as things tend to do when things are going really well, people start to get spiritually lazy. And the people have started to drift King Uzziah ends up what starts as a good reign as a king, 50 some odd years, ends with him walking away from the Lord and dying as a leper. And it's in the midst of this expansion, this great moment in in their lives, that we pick up the story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, the first couple verses. Here's what happens Isaiah has this vision. Verse 1. It was in the year of King Uzziah. It was in the year. I'm sorry. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, "'Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory.'" Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Now that's a Sunday morning worship experience right there. Isaiah is in the temple, he has this vision, and he sees God. He doesn't really see God. is so big, he, sees, he says, the Lord is on this throne, and he was high and lifted up. Isaiah is overwhelmed by the magic of God and how big he is. It's not like he walked in the temple and and there was a throne there and he was like, there's God. God is so much bigger. In fact, the hem of the garment that God wore in this vision fills the entire temple. It's like being in the the worship center and it's so big that just the cuff of the blue jeans was, was filling up the entire temple. And there's these seraphim, these angels flying around and they are creepy little dudes. They've got six wings and they're flying around and for some reason, some people say because the glory of God is too much to behold, I don't know, but with two wings they cover their eyes and two wings they cover their feet and with the other two wings they're flying around. They're called seraphim. The, the word comes from a, a Hebrew word that, that roots in the word serpent. There's, a, there's a, a verb that's close to it that roots in the idea of burning. So if you look at some old drawings or old paintings from uh, old church history, you'll see these like fiery looking serpent creatures with wings crazy stuff. And Isaiah is having this moment of fearful awe. He's blown away because he's, he's reminded in an instance of how small he is and how big he got his. And all of his senses, every one of them is being overwhelmed with his eyes. Again, he sees the, 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 the hymn of the garment of God and these angels, these seraphim flying around. He smells the smoke as it fills up the temple. He's He's holding on, trying to grab it because the whole temple is shaking as the angels are singing. It's like like being in an earthquake. And his ears hear these these angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah has a response to God that looks like this in verse 5. Then I said, it's all over. It's all over. I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He had taken it from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. The history here is important, because things are going well. That morning when Isaiah got up, if he looked in the mirror, he looked in the mirror and went, you know what? Things are going pretty well. Things are good. Cruising along. We're going to go to the temple today. Country's doing well. Family's doing well. Economy's doing pretty good. King had that mishap, but and things are going pretty well. And in an instant, the presence of God shows up, and all of a sudden, Isaiah is presented with this gap between what he thinks life is like and what the Lord says life is like. He's in the presence of God, and all of a sudden he realizes that I think things are going well. On the surface, things look fantastic. (laughs) Beneath, not just for him, for the country, there's this spiritual sickness. We're not walking with the Lord any longer. Looked like it, had convinced everybody what they were doing, what they were saying, what they thought looked well, but when it was held up and matched up to the truth of who God is and who God had called them to be as a people to be his representative, as a people to look like him, there was this giant gap. There was this gap of a lack of integrity. And that happens often when we are far from God and we see God. And it's interesting because Isaiah's vision and what he experienced starts with this image of God on his throne, high and lifted up. The scripture talks about that in multiple places. I want you to look at one other passage of scripture. I want you to go to the New Testament. I want you to go to the book of Hebrews. As you're flipping to Hebrews, I think it's just interesting. You know, Isaiah comes in thinking life is good, and he walks out saying, woe is me. He walks into the temple that day going, man, things are fantastic. I've arrived. And he walks out going, I'm lost. Goes in thinking spiritually things are good, walks out, says, I'm a man of filthy lips. Look at what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Now look at verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. In the Old Testament, Isaiah comes before the throne of God and he starts shaking in fear. He cries out, woe is me, I'm lost, I'm a a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, but then we fast forward to Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews says, hey, when you approach the throne of grace, or you approach the throne of God, you approach it with confidence. Approach it boldly. What is the difference, or what has happened in between somebody who has Isaiah's experience, and somebody who would have the experience the writer of Hebrews tells us to have? The difference is a close in the gap of integrity. Hebrews is presupposing that we have been made right with Jesus and that we're walking with the Lord. And when you walk with the Lord, you can approach the throne. Now, you're going to approach it with fearful awe and reverence because God is God. He is creator. He isn't He isn't just your buddy that you hang out with. But you're allowed to approach the throne with confidence to go, hey, I don't, I don't approach anymore going, I'm a man of unclean lips because I've been Walking with Jesus and the Holy Spirit has changed that in my life. And so now I don't walk going, woe is me. I walk into the throne of God going, holy, holy, holy. That's the difference. The person with integrity stands before God and says, holy, holy, holy. Fearful and reverent and in awe, absolutely. The person who has a gap of integrity, when they come into the presence of God, goes, woe is me, I am doomed as the New Living Translation says, it's all over. So how do, we, how do we move from having the gap of integrity to being families, disciples, adult disciples, raising up teenage disciples that close that gap where we stand before God and say, holy, holy, holy. Well, well the writer of Hebrews tells us the first thing. The first thing is that it all starts with Jesus. I mean, look at verse 14, it's, so then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, we hold firmly to what we believe. You never stand before the presence of God crying out, holy, 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 until Jesus has entered in and changed everything. I mean, if you come here very often or you show up at church very often, that's that's the message you hear. Jesus saves. But, But I want to suggest to you this. Can a person who doesn't know Jesus have integrity? Sure. You hire somebody in your company that doesn't know the Lord and they have integrity, they don't steal. They do what they say they're going to do. What is is what is. But I'd suggest to you that you can't have true integrity, ultimate integrity, what God created you to be until you know Jesus and step into what God created you to be. Because if you don't know Jesus, there will always be a gap because you'll never reflect his image like you were called to reflect it like you were created for. And so if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, if there's never been a time in your life where you went, you know what? Woe is me. I'm doomed. It's all over. I'm a man of unclean lips or fill in the blank. Some of us have a long, long list of woe is me. I'm a man of unclean whatever. Until you meet Jesus and Jesus, the high priest, forgives that sin because of his death on the cross, you'll never reach ultimate integrity. If you've got a teenager in your home that doesn't know the Lord, you better not be doing anything on a on a more regular basis than hitting your knees and lifting up that child to God. The spirit of God would come in and convict and change and bring that teenager to repentance. If you, as an adult, have played a church game and never come to the point where you said, "I need Jesus to change my life," that's where it all starts. The integrity that, that you might find in, in a secular idea is worthless compared to ultimate integrity, true integrity. And that's when what you say and what you do and what you think and you believe matches who God says that you are. So it starts with Jesus. But here, here's the second thing. We've got to know God's plan for our life. And we start with the low-hanging fruit. What I mean by that is, is, is every one of us, especially those kids down Way. We want to know what God's will is for our life. I mean, they do. I mean, they're praying about that. They're asking mentors, trying to figure out because, because they think God's will for their life has a direct correlation to where they go to college and what they do next. And it, it might have a piece of it. That's not all where it is. As adults, we go, man, if I just knew what God wanted me to do over the next 10 years, I just knew what to do here, Then then I would be good. But but maybe we need to stop thinking down the future of what is God's will for my life way out there and start thinking about what is God's will for my life today? That's the low-hanging fruit, and we already know what that is. And I'm not talking about what is God's will. Okay, God, do you want us to go to Chili's or do you want us to go to Applebee's? Obviously, you wouldn't go to Applebee's, so you don't have to pray about that. Um, We start going, God, God, what what is... What is your will for my life today? And it's revealed to us in Scripture. You know what God's will for you is today? To love him. To love people. We say to help others do the same, which means to disciple somebody. What's God's will for your life? To be patient like he is patient. What's God's will for your life? To be kind like God is kind. What is God's will for your life? To be generous. You don't, you don't have to hit your knees and start praying, God, what do you want in my life today? Because <clears throat> the Lord's going to go, hey, I might reveal all that, but I've already revealed a whole lot of stuff for you already, and I need you to start working on that. I need you to start moving towards being like me, and I've already told you what that looks like, and I'll, we'll take care of all the other things you're worried about later. But for today, there's somebody that you need to tell about Jesus. There's something that you need to let go of and hand over to me because that's my will for your life. That's the low-hanging fruit. You see, we're looking at the top of the tree going, I want that fruit. I want to know, I want to know what 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 my grandkids will be like one day and what I'm supposed to do with them. I want to know, I want to know about my job and, and where it will land there. And God's going, you know what you need to get to that job? Self-control. And it, it, it's right here. It's low-hanging fruit. I've already told you about it. You know got I. I want to know what to do. One day, I, my, my, my kids are, are, are dating this person. I, I don't know if I like God. I, I want to know what your will is and what I do. And God says, man, we'll, we'll get there. But here's the low-hanging fruit. You, you need to love both of you. That, we start, when we start taking the things that we already know to do, then, then we start walking closer to looking like the image of God. For me, when I was a, a teenager, I resonate with Isaiah. When I says I'm a Man of unclean lips, of filthy lips. When I turned my life towards Jesus and started walking towards him, that was the first thing. It was a very and it, it, was, it was like the Holy Spirit went, "Hey, this is, this is easy, low-hanging fruit. If you are going to follow me, you've got to start talking like me rather than talking like the world. A teenage boy. I knew lots of cuss words. I lived in Germany, I knew bilingually. Um, you know. And all of a sudden, it was like this, on a dime, and I started praying. And it wasn't, I, I was used to speaking with filthy lips. And so I started praying to the Lord, I want, to, I want my voice, I want what I say to match you. That was, that was low-hanging fruit for me. It was, it was very obvious. And I started praying that, and I would catch myself, and I would say something. And I immediately, when I said, it, ah, I would repent, Right, God forgive me. And, and it wasn't too long, maybe weeks, before I wasn't, I wasn't cussing, I wasn't even... I didn't have cuss words in my mind. It wasn't wasn't even an issue. It was the low-hanging fruit. Okay, here's my first step. I know to do this. I I don't need God to reveal some grand scheme plan. I I know this is for me. And as I've grown, more fruit has dropped. Because I took care of that, and God's went, you know what? Yeah, you don't cuss anymore, but sarcasm can destroy your kids. And that's the fruit that I've grown. And actually in my, in my to-do list every day as I check off things, right now I'm walking through kind of just a reflection every night uh, of was I sarcastic with my kids? Because I have been. And I'm trying to let God change that in me. That's the next low-hanging fruit. And as I conform myself to the image of Christ in the low-hanging fruit, the easy things, God begins to take care of the rest. Does that make sense? So it starts with Jesus and then we have to start with that low-hanging fruit. And then, then here's the third thing. It's really a question. What would be the first thing you called out? If, if you walked over from here and you walked over to 11 o'clock service and you walked in, all of a sudden you had an Isaiah moment. God shows up in the temple and, all, and you're blown away and you are confronted with the holiness of God and your lack of holiness What's that first thing you would cry out? Isaiah's was, "I'm a man of unclean lips." You, you probably know what that is already. If you're a believer, maybe if you're not, the Holy Spirit might have probably already convicted you. You you might cry out, "Woe to me! I am selfish and stingy with my money." Woe is me! I have been a husband who hasn't loved his wife like he should. Woe is me. I've been absent to my kids. Woe is me. I've been stealing from the Lord. Woe is me. Got an addiction to alcohol or pornography or food or shopping. You probably know what the woe is me is. And so I ask the question, what would be the first thing you cry out? And there's your low-hanging fruit. That's that's what you start to address, and let the Holy Spirit begin to change you. But here, here's what I want you to understand. Let me let me real clear. If you continue doing what you've done up until this point, nothing is going to change. There's got to be some, something radical that changes and shifts in your life from the woe is me to holy, holy, holy. It might be getting involved in region. It might be seeing a counselor. Could be having accountability. It could be having a mentor come in and speaks into your life that that begins to sharpen you and begins to push you. Because if you go, oh yeah, I need, I need to fix this. Isn't it true if it is whatever you called out? You've had that thought before. I need to deal with this. But yet it's still your woe is me call out to the Lord. Something radically has to change. For Isaiah, one of those creepy little angels went down and grabbed a tongue and took a coal and touched it to his lips. I don't know if it was a vision, it seems to be presented as a vision, Isaiah 6. I've always wondered, though, if Isaiah had a mark that stayed. If there was a, if there was a, a scar on his lips to remind him of his encounter with God. It may not, maybe, maybe not. I'll tell you what, even if there's not, Isaiah never forgot it. Never forgot that moment. Something radically changed. And so the question is, what are you going to do to radically change so that you move to holy, 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 and not woe is me. Close to tell you the story, and then we're going to spend some time and some questions. Kind of a sad story. There's a gentleman named uh, James Stern. He was a con artist. He was impersonating a justice of the peace, had a website and everything, and unfortunately, a a couple was about to get married. The woman had her dream wedding plan. Bridesmaids had come. They had the decorations, the food, all of the things that go into a wedding. They needed someone to do the wedding, to do the ceremony. They weren't believers. Looked up this guy on the website, who's just of the peace, had reviews for how well he did weddings. Met him, loved him, hired him. He came and did the service. And it wasn't until several weeks later when several of the bridesmaids started connecting the dots that somebody had stole their credit card information and was using it to purchase things. They began to talk And it all went back to James Stern, who wasn't actually a JP at all. And they weren't even married. He didn't have the legal ability to do it. He hadn't filed any paperwork. They're living this this idea that they were a married couple. They hadn't been married. Went through everything. And because one guy was not what he said that he was, everything fell apart. And I'm thinking... Like from a girl's perspective, who may have dreamed about this wedding and planned it for so long, to, to, to that be the the, it doesn't have to be the end of the story, but the end of that chapter of the story. I mean, that is terrible. Like it's one thing, it's one thing to be a con artist and steal money from people. It's another thing to ruin somebody's wedding day. Because who you say you are doesn't match who you really are. And the more I thought about that, and thought, what a shame it was, I thought, you know what? You know what's worse than ruining somebody's marriage? Ruining somebody's life. Our neighbors. Our kids. Our grandkids. Our co-workers. People in our small group. Because we spend so much time with them. Presenting to them something that we're not. That may be worse than ruining a wedding. Maybe worse 20 years down the road when your, your kids realize that you drugged them to church and told them how important it was they look back and they go mom or dad I don't, I don't see anything in your life that matches what you said was really important and they walk away and take your grandkids with them that's worse in my opinion than ruining somebody's wedding that can be redone so the question is do you have true integrity? Because true integrity, ultimate integrity, is when what we say, what we do, what we act, what we think, matches who God says that we are. When we look in the mirror and we see, we reflect the image of Jesus Christ. I hope, I hope you have some work to do. I hope not anything that I said, but I hope is you read Isaiah's story and you can compare it to the Scripture in Hebrews that you go, you know what, there's some things I need to do, some radical things, some cold-to-my-lips type things that I need to do so that my walk with the Lord matches what God's called me to be. And let's go do it. Let me pray for us, and then you've got some time to kind of talk through this in your small group. Lord, thank you for Isaiah's experience with you, that he recorded it. Thank you for the writer of Hebrews that helps us see, God, that we can stand before you and cry out, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, rather than woe is me. Father, may we use our years here to prepare ourselves to see you face to face like we will and that we would be crying, holy, 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 when we do. As in Jesus' name we pray.